Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. And Hartford AARP, the AARP auto insurance program from The Hartford. Discover great rates, benefits, and service specifically designed for AARP members at aarp.thehartford.com slash podcast. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com forward slash twip. A quick roundup of some Photo Plus Expo announcements, tech talk on HDR and medium format, and a new TWIP host joins in, Tyler Ginter. It's Saturday, November 6, 2010, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show uh, are a, an older voice and a new voice. Not old as in old, old, but... Er- <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about over there? You know, get, off, get off my lawn. No. You know, back when I was shooting photos, <laughs> it was all on metal. Yeah, you had to that, hammer those things out. That old man is Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex, how you doing? Hey, good. All right. And uh, also, the new voice, uh, a longtime friend of This Week in Photo, is Mr. Tyler Ginter. Hey, Tyler, how are you? Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having me. Been uh Great show. Been watching this forever, so it's an honor to be on here. Man, we, we've been talking back and forth for either through email or whatever for like, what, a year or something? Either you and you and uh, Aaron or me and you or you and Steve or something. Alex or somebody. We all, yeah, yeah we, and it was cool. We all finally got to meet recently. Yeah, independently. You, yeah, Aaron. Alex and I met Steve. The only person I haven't met yet is Ron. So well, yeah. Well, you'll have to you'll have to travel to him because he like you know it's either Southern California or outside of the United States. I noticed either. that was the trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, Tyler, t- Tyler, tell 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 our listeners a little bit about. I mean, if they don't already know what you do, just tell them a little bit about your background yeah. and what you're doing right now. Well, yeah. Currently, I'm uh, at a, at the 55th Combat Camera. We're the only active duty combat camera company in the whole United States Army. So. We have about 220 soldiers that rapidly deploy basically around the world, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and we capture and edit and also transmit high-definition still and video. We're dual-trained, uh, and we support the commander's tactical operations, strategical objectives. And we also, that's, that's like on-the-ground commander, and then we also push it back to statewide and United States and global audience as well to uh, see that imagery. I kind of explain it like a stock footage collection for the military, yeah. And once that stuff gets out there, it's kind of in the hands and also gets historically archived at the Pentagon for 15, 20 years down the future. Basically, the stuff from World War II that you might see on Discovery or History Channel was all shot by uh, combat, combat cameramen or some, some kind of uh, war, a war journalist in the military. So. Yep, yep. And, that, and you're that, doing, that's, you're doing that's, uh, I was going to say, sorry, Alex, that's, that's what I did while I was active duty, too. Not, not at the level that you're doing it, but we were uh, you know, Air Force-based. And yeah, also, exactly. Also, Tyler, I was going to say, um, you, and I, we, you and I touched on this when I was out um, east a couple of weeks ago, but a lot of people don't realize, you mentioned that you're kind of like the stock photo agency for the United States military, but, or for the United States Army, but people don't realize that those photos are accessible to them. They, they that's pay your for taxpayer them. dollars of work. So yeah, that's that's uh, there's sitesdivitshub.net where you can go on and get video, high definition video and photos, and you can request them with an account. 
and use them royalty free for what you would like to. So and anything, great, anything you want to use them for, right? Yes, as long as you get the licenses approved through through the the site for you know not any. There's certain things that might be controversial, but in general, you go through and you have a legitimate use for that imagery, and you can use it uh, how you, how you need to be. That's awesome, and we'll put the notes, the the link to that, that the the site you mentioned in the show notes for this. Absolutely. That's what were you going to say, Alex? Uh, how, how many? Ca- you're shooting everything with DSLRs, right? Yeah. Uh, when, when I was in Iraq, uh, I spent about nine months there. Two years ago, then when Reverie first came out by Vincent Lamferet, and that was like the beginning of the 5D Mark II. Then, you know, the D90 had come out right before, and that had already sparked my eye. And then, you know, after that, after I got back several months later, I basically when I was in theater, I did all these tests on, uh, you know, compression settings and whether this could work in low bandwidth situations overseas, and and see if this could actually, you could actually have a camera that, you know, because we've been dual trained for almost 10, 10, 15 years in the Army. We've just been carrying two camera bodies, either, you know, a PD-170 and a D2X or different variations. So when I first started testing, I got a lot of um, criticism from the VI community overall that, you know, when anything new comes out, there's a lot of speculation. At that time, the 5D Mark II was crippled with, you know, didn't have manual control for video and didn't have audio stuff and didn't have 24P and different things like that. So at that time, it was definitely, I was just kind of doing some tests and I came back, I really put it to use, put like this 200 page document together over a six month period and, you know, got uh, some people to buy off on it. And now we're, I think almost two, 300 uh, 5D Mark IIs in the unit. Every kit is outfitted with two of them and our, we have about 220 soldiers and they all deploy with those cameras. That's our sole camera we don't use really video cameras anymore unless uh, it's like a GoPro HD helmet cam for certain uses. But yeah, they're, they're, they're doing everything on these cameras. It's, it's incredible. So you were kind of like the emissary for DSLR video to the uh, United States Army then? Yeah, yeah, wow. o- overall. So it's it's been a pretty cool, exciting journey. And now the Mil- Marine Corps and the Navy are starting to pick up on some of it too. And they, the Air Force is, is still, they, they're still getting some kickback just because they're, as you know, they're, they're photo and video separated which yes. you know and that's not a bad thing i've had lots of conversations with the air force about this they see the need for you know and i completely understand you have and i see it in our own photographers and videographers as a challenge for them to do both at one time it's you know when you we think about photo on a mission you think about photo and you get your streamline that way but unfortunately the reality of where the industry is going is multimedia and being able to do both so it's yeah. it's one of those things i've i've had several discussions one-on-one with the air force and their they're definitely looking at uh, different situations for the future, but right now they're, you know, it's kind of funny because they're 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 shooting on D3s, and so they have almost better video capabilities in their still cameras than they do in the video cameras using right now. So it's, yeah, it's interesting you, know, you say that well, because that the the Air Force is where my my affinity for Nikon came from, and mm-hmm. B, you know, it just clicked in my head because when you know when I was active duty, we had you know separate separate still photographers and videographers and we were always sort of we had a friendly sort of rivalry between the two like hey your video's not art still photos are art. <laughs> you know it was it yeah. was but you know in the end the job got done but that might be that might be where my bias towards you know you can't you know multimediography you can't be the jack of all all trades in my head or you can't like i know you're what you're saying tyler is you're you're going to have to as things move in that direction but you know how can you be like the ansel adams with with both medium you know well, but i think I, I think that one of the challenges is is that i think that most of us don't um most of us aren't going to be ansel adams and yeah. I, I don't mean to, i don't yeah. mean to be rough about that but when we look at the the real 
business of this. Uh, you know, generally you have a very small percentage of people who are going to do that kind of super artwork. And then a lot of us are, uh, you know, we're going to get stuff done, you know, and we're going to be doing a lot of this stuff. And I, I have to admit that I, I find that all of it improves my, you know, shooting all the time improves both my video and my still, you know, and, and how I, and how I look at that. And I, uh, I can't imagine now, uh, going out with a camera. I mean, I, I have to admit, for us, you know, five Ds. We have three five Ds in the family. I mean, I have two in the company. My brother has one, and um, and two seven Ds. And we, uh, I have to admit that I just don't even think about it when I travel. That I'm just going to take my a camera that's going to allow me to do both video and stills. Uh, you know, I to me, I can't imagine buying a camera that doesn't do both of them. Yeah. And when I'm when I'm in the field, you know, when I'm uh, you know, I'm not in as stressful a situation as Tyler is, but I'm, I am in, uh, um, I, you know, spend a lot of time shooting in Africa and the idea of having one lightweight camera and then I can spend more, uh, resources or energy on making sure I've got some good sound equipment. And, uh, and now I can, and, and now I have a backpack, you know, I have my little, my little, as I talked about last week, my little 467, uh, you know, Kata bag that I just, that, that fits everything, yeah. you know, and I, and I, I am a, yeah, go ahead. That's the consequences we had to make, but cost analysis and things like that from a business perspective and overseeing, you know, all this stuff. We're saving so much money for the military to, to go this route, and we're getting great products out of it. And it's not, you know, we can always have the argument back and forth, but if you look, the bars being raised across the industry to start to adapt and learn both of these things. And our soldiers are learning it. It's just, it takes, it takes time and it takes a lot of good training. And we're really kind of phasing out the word photo or video now. We're really honing in and talking about multimedia. We have I multimedia competitions. And it's, and it's not just about integrating video. It's integrating photo with audio or photo with, you know, time lapse and different things like that. And just to think of the overall way you can, you can push out multimedia using these tools to your advantage. Yeah. And so. from, a, from a consumer standpoint, like Alex, you're on the corporate standpoint or corporate perspective and Tyler military uh, and, and looking at it from a, what makes sense from a, from a fiscal standpoint. What, from my perspective, looking at it purely as a consumer and a guy that has a limited budget and I want to buy some new stuff and stay relatively current, I'm at the crossroads or I was at the crossroads where it's like, okay, do I buy the, the new Canon G whatever, 11, 12, um, or do I go buy a video camera, a purpose-built HD video camera because I want to start putting stuff on YouTube more often and all that? Or do I buy a DSLR and leverage all the cool Nikon lenses that I already own and only have one body to carry and yada, 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 all this. D7000, D7000. Right, right, exactly. Well, exactly. The thing is is the glass that we're throwing on the front of these cameras makes any video camera that we're most likely going to buy uh, under $10,000, uh, you know, look like a walk in the park. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, you're, you're able to put so much better glass on the front. And I'm not looking at it just from a corporate environment. I'm also looking at it from, as a parent. You know, I have two kids that I shoot a lot of this stuff with, and and uh, and while I I will admit that most of the time, for whatever reason, I shoot mostly stills. I probably shoot when I'm at home, when I'm not traveling, I probably shoot four or five hundred photos of my kids a, a week, you know, on average. And uh, and I only shoot a handful of videos, but it really is upsetting for me if I can't shoot video at the same, you know, because they're doing something cool, and now all I have to do is change my camera mode and kind of start shooting that that video. And I think that that is. Um, you know, where things, and I think that's the future. I think that the, if you're a photographer and you're in this for, for work, or if you're a parent and you're looking for what can I carry around with me, um, you know, I think that buying a camera that can't shoot solid video is, uh, you know, crazy, you know, whether it's amateur or professional uh, at, at this point. Um, yeah, you know, unless I, you really find a niche, I think it's, right, you know, right. the expectations for a young photographer coming into the industry is, 
having a little bit of both and understanding a little, and not just photo and video, but I said audio too, because that's really another key ingredient to the mix. But yeah. understanding those those concepts, and even you know, me and Alex, we were talking about this earlier. Is you know, building, learning how to build a website and marketing yourself, social media, all that stuff right. ties into how successful you're going to be. And unless you find that a specific niche like fashion photography or wedding photography and you can really sell it that way, um, the, the expectations across the industry are growing for you to be able to, you know, raise the bar. And, and, so Tyler, and Tyler, Tyler, you mentioned um, audio. What are, what are you using or what are you guys using right now to capture the audio? Oh, we use Zoom for H4Ns. Uh, awesome. Me too. Primarily. <laughs> yeah, and they, the, what's yeah. the new Zoom, the smaller one? Yeah. We're going to start getting some of those. I uh, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but it's it's about $100, I think. And it's a lot smaller, more compact. It doesn't have the XLRs, but it's just to gather audio in the field. So. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, we, I, I use, if I'm, if I'm in, uh, if I'm really, if I'm in Africa, I'll take an H4N. If I'm local, anything we do here is all run through uh, sound devices, um, either a 702T, which is pretty much our standard, um, or, uh, or we'll run it through a mobile pre at least, just because we have limiters. You know, the yeah. limiter, the really, really good preamps and limiters make a huge difference. And so we still do a dual recording and feed something into the 5D, which oftentimes we end up using. But if we have, if we have any issues, we can always go back to. And what do, Tyler, what are you guys using to marry that audio up to the video? Um, we're, we're using Pluralize mostly. And we're also. Isn't that, isn't this the most amazing program ever? It's written? incredible. What is it? <laughs> I've never heard of this. What is oh, oh, my no, so gosh. This, this program is. Polarize? Uh, Pluralize. 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 Using, uh, it's called dual system sound, basically. I'm using a Zoom H4N with a 5D Mark II. Normally, I mean, you have the 5D Mark II as little, you know, audio input mono, uh, collecting that audio. Actually, I think it's stereo unless you plug something in. But anyways, it's collecting that audio, and you put that in the final cut, and then you put your Zoom H4N below it, and you press a button, basically, and it'll sync those audio waveforms up. <laughs> uh, and, oh, no, and not only that. I mean, you, you, can have, you can have your 5D shooting, you can have uh, a cell phone shooting. You can have a whole bunch of other cameras shooting, and, and they're going to be shooting all at the same time. And then you push a little button, and it syncs. Oh, oh man! It's yeah, it's very cool. Now yeah, we're it, also using like the G3 wireless mics in the field too, and we we can hook those directly in and get some pretty good sound with the new manual control, like in the 5D Mark II for audio. Uh, you know, because the waveforms aren't on the front, so it's not perfect. The Zoom H4N is really the bread and butter, but it's it's gathering some kind of audio, and, and even as a photographer, you know. Getting some, and I think Frederick, we talked about this earlier too. When you can just be out there with some kind of audio device and collect something, and, and you mm-hmm. never know, it could be an interview, it could be just nat sound. Yep. And if you're putting slideshows together, if you're just, you know, or even to remember what the photo is about or caption data, or there's ways to embed that 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 uh, audio into the file, and you can have that later on. I think it's just a really good tool to to also keep in your kit bag. It's just, even if you're solely a photographer to start totally collecting agree. audio sound. Well, lights. When, and when I'm shooting music concerts you know which i do a lot in africa not so much here uh, i take that h4n and i just i go over and talk to the mixer you know to the guy running the running the mixer and say hey can i have one of your ox outs and and um and he'll you know usually uh those guys are pretty relaxed and they'll be like yeah sure and so i i get one of the auxiliary uh pipes and i just plug a you know quarter inch in and quarter inch into my h4n and now i've got a super clean version of the music um because i'm not going to get that with my camera all right, guys, before we move on, let's take a quick second to give a nod to one of our sponsors. Alex, who's, uh, who are we brought to you by today? 
Hey, uh, one of our sponsors for today uh, is is the AARP Auto Insurance Program from Hartford. Uh, so for our audience members over 50, uh, the AARP uh, audio, auto, auto Insurance Program from Hartford can save you $384 in auto insurance. More than 3 million AARP members already are enjoying these benefits, and they include lifetime renewability, a, a lifetime repair guarantee, a 6 point claim guarantee uh, customers describe the claims uh, experience is fast easy and outstanding uh, check them out today and uh, get an eight minute quote uh, uh, go to aarp.thehartford.com slash podcast that's aarp.thehartford.com slash podcast awesome thanks a lot alex all right guys let's jump into the news we got a got a bunch of stuff to talk about the uh the first thing i want to hit on is Photo Plus Expo, and I know at least one of us uh, had the had the the pleasure of going out there. Tyler, yeah, I, I, I you blew enough. off you blew off John Stewart and Stephen Colbert <laughs> to go to <laughs> to go to Photo yeah, Plus. Yeah, I, I only made it up on Saturday, uh, same day as the the rally down here in DC. But I think I made the better decision. I heard it was pretty packed yeah, down here. But, yeah, um, no, we I, I went up there, and I, I mostly focused on. That day, just going to some workshops. Uh, actually, our buddy Steve Simon did an incredible uh, workshop on there and, on photojournalism and, and had a really good turnout in his crowd. He's passing out Hershey Kisses, so I think that might have been awesome. his prize. Steve is a really know. good speaker, by the way. If you if you know if you haven't heard Steve speak, he is uh, he's very relaxed and eloquent when he's on very, stage. and he just had some incredible slides he was presenting and work and just you know t- talking to photographers on a personal basis, kind of like on the show, but more more uh keyed in on his personal work which you don't always get to hear about so it was really really rewarding what stuck out as you as like the the overall theme of the show i mean being a photokina year that you know one would expect that photokina kind of sucked up all the oxygen out of the photo universe and then photo plus comes along and kind of sweeps up the the leftovers was it like that yeah no i mean i think it was more of people's chance to get their hands on this time around where more the gear was present uh there was definitely um, there was definitely a lot of video feel to it. I Vimeo was there; they had their own booth. I think that was the first year they had showed up. Oh wow! They actually, did, they did a workshop or they did a, a conference with uh, Vincent Lafrette, and they talked about some stuff. And then um, we also, I I think it was just overall um, kind of getting a chance to get your hands on some of that gear. Yeah, and and there's definitely some more medium format stuff coming out that. Was interesting. I didn't get my hands on exactly all of it, but I there was some there was some cool stuff buzzed around some of the media format cameras that. And what do you guys think about that? I mean, coming from your perspective, I've never shot on media format medium format myself. But oh, I have. Obviously, it's a. What, what do you think? Um, you mean the in terms of the movement or the in terms the, of the I guess the the quality and versus the price point of of moving into that system, the lenses and all the different things. You, I mean, uh, the perspective of. Where do you get at a point of being a photographer where you can justify having that in your kit? I think it's the right tool for the right job. I mean, I uh, I have Something never sat with one of these gazillion megapixel, you know, six four five aspect ratio digital backs. But the you know, the people that I've spoken to that have shot with those and 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 worked with the gigantic files they produce say that it's absolutely necessary for the high end Madison Avenues style retouching that they need to do when they need to get into the DNA level of the pixels. Um, but for the average everyday Joe, you know, spending twelve grand on a body is kind of out of reach kind of and, and unnecessary. So, I mean, you look at it like a like a pyramid. At the very top of that pyramid are the folks that are going to 
need to buy these medium format camera bodies. And then, you know, one inch down, spreading out to a mile in diameter on the base is everybody else, you know? Yeah, so, so maybe more of a, lent- a rental thing. If for certain uses for a job, you might be able to pick it up in the gear associated, I guess. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So That's I don't know. What we're, we're, we're about to do a, um, we have a, uh, McKay Hawks, who's, who's our, uh, he is our uh, internal art director, and he comes from the ad agency, you know, ad agency world of retouching. And yep. we're, uh, you know, working on a crazy high end, you know, Photoshop training with him right now. And um, that's actually what we've been looking at is whether we use something like the 5D or whether we go to medium format to get those source images, uh, specifically because it is going to be retouched. You know, that's that's what we're going to be talking about. And yeah. I don't know at this point whether even for the training, whether we really need the medium format, but it's definitely what they're used to working with, you know, is is these really crazy high-end ones because they're changing. I mean, he he did a, he was talking about, he was showing the Pixel Core some of the, we had an internal stream with him talking about it. And he thinks, it, to him, it's like, this is like really uh, kind of uh, meat and potatoes kind of work. You yeah. know, he just, he's not that excited about it. <laughs> and everyone in the Pixel Core was like, their their jaws were just kind of like, frozen open watching him change <laughs> like like it's like it's like oh you know the this woman's uh, scarf wasn't it was uh you know it was uh checked but they wanted it to be solid <laughs> and so i changed it oh wow i <laughs> wish know, i could see that that's great yeah and 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 but you need all that that information to do that i i look at a lot of it this is as you know light sensitivity very low grain mm-hmm um i'm looking at building another texture map disc for instance and i'm gonna probably rent one i'm not gonna buy one um, this is definitely, I think, a rental kind of thing because I, I just don't imagine myself shooting enough. And then, and then, then to uh, to to continue with that, Tyler, the end of that question I think is what's the delivery mechanism or what's the end result that people are looking for? And I would argue that most of the TWIP audience um, is generally going to be sharing most of their images online on Flickr, yeah. on SmugMug, or whatever. And scaling from a billboard-sized image down to a postage stamp is there's a I mean there's the space issue of storing that and backing it up properly, and then there's the horsepower issue of being able to actually manipulate that image and having a computer that can handle that. So it's you know shooting smaller and being more nimble, you know, for the I guess for the advanced amateur folks is good enough i would argue you know but like alex said for the folks that need to get in there and you know noise free images and edit the retina you know. well it's like you know i i have a camera i have a very expensive uh video camera uh in our office that shoots 444 on compressed video and and uh and for what we do when we need it uh it, it really saves us a lot of money you know and it gives us a better product uh and so that makes a lot of sense for us uh if someone asks me do i need that for web video or do i need to produce that for my average work i'm like you know don't bother yeah you know so it's well, the same same kind of I d- thing i definitely think it's good for our audience to know that media medium format cameras and if you don't know medium format it's most of them are averaged around 40 40 megapixels or higher they mm-hmm. they have about which is about double what a 5D Mark II is on a megapixel count, but they have huge sensors, that, and they're actually these ones are CCD sensors, 44 millimeters by 33 millimeters. I have this uh, blog post that kind of talks about sensor size and it shows the breakdown, like how much bigger. And as as most people know, that's really affects your low light capabilities and your depth of field, but also getting a, a very large image with you know a large sensor that makes the megapixels bigger and you can get cleaner images. But um, I think it's you know it's good for the listeners just to be aware of this technology coming in because there's talks about canon and nikon wanting to do more full frame or more medium format stuff and who knows the prices could come down over the next few years and we might all benefit from this stuff yeah. be great well tyler first of all where's your blog oh my blog is at uh 
tylerginter.com. Okay. And cool. uh, hopefully we'll put some of these in the show notes. Yeah, too. definitely. And then, and then thirdly, uh, CCD sensors. Can you? I know you're you're intimate with the different types of sensors. Can you explain and sort of break down what the what the value proposition of a CCD, CCD sensor over you know any other type of sensor is? Yeah, real quick. Um, the CCD is it basically writes the image at it one basically at, at one time where the CMOS. And if people are aware of what's called rolling shutter on these DSLRs now, it's a skew on the image. And what that's causing is is the DS or the CMOS writes it from the top to the bottom. And so if you're doing like a movement with your camera, it'll write the frames from the top, and it'll skew it to the right if you're doing like a whip pan or if you're moving really fast. You see it like a really ripping, affect, right? It'll look like it's yeah. Ripping. It, it doesn't really affect photography because you're taking so many frames a second. You're taking you know snapshots, but when you bring it together in a video you can start to see that skew over time. So the CMOS actually writes a lot faster than the CCD. Uh, at least that's what I'm aware of. But yeah. um, I, I think the technology for more of the prosumers and professionals with are going to CMOS and then these large format sensors. I, I, maybe you can explain more, Alex, but I guess they have to be CCD in order to capture that image. Yeah, I think that it, when you have the larger format, I, I believe, and, and, and we should bring someone like... Uh, um, there's a couple Run, people we should yeah. Yeah, some, someone else <laughs> yeah. talk about it but, but I believe that the issue, real issue is because it's scanning down when you have a smaller sensor up to full size uh, you know um, sensor you can do that scan that the CMOS is doing but once you get larger than that if you do that you're really going to end up with even on a still you could end up it just can't cover that information fast enough yeah exactly that. and so it can't you just can't cover that that, that uh, area fast enough and so so that's really the, the challenge there and so um, you, you need to have as I said the uh, the, the, the CMOS is what you can get away with on the smaller ones, and we see where they break down when you have the jelly, kind of the jelly look uh, yeah. when you're doing video. Generally, with a still, because it's so quick, you don't notice it uh, unless you're really moving, and generally, you just don't notice it. Um, but the uh, but when you when you get to the larger format, my understanding of it is uh, is that we uh, and and a good person to probably bring on is someone like Ray Maxwell as well. I mean, he might be a uh, person we can bring on and talk. I think we've talked about this a little bit with yeah, Ray. Yeah, we have. Yeah, but, he, but covering Ray that is, arc, Ray is Ray. a a fountain of knowledge. We definitely need to bring him on to to go into this. Yeah. So so anyway, so that that's the you know that's the real challenge with the CCD. I don't think that the image is necessarily better or worse, but it's a. Uh, uh, I think the only time when you're talking about chips being better or worse or clearer or not clearer as far as just the pure per inch kind of thing, you know, what we're really looking at is how big are those photo sites. So that means mm-hmm. that exactly. that's going to affect our – so these medium formats have pretty large photo sites, and that's going to mean that you're going to have less errata, you know, which is going to lead to less grain. And, yep. so, so that, and that means that when you want to re-edit things um, and do other things, even if your, for, your final version is going to be a lot smaller – uh, you can get away with a lot more, you know, like it's, you know, even though, um, you know, for instance, when the old matte paintings used to be done uh, at ILM, uh, even though they're only going to end up on a little piece of, of, uh, of film, it's not like they made them at that resolution. They made them at these giant resolutions, you know, that they painted on glass originally and then much higher resolution because that means all the little mistakes get all kind of mushed down before they end up in the final version and you, and you can't see them. And so, so that's the, you know, that's kind of the key to the operation. Yep. All right. Another thing that came out of uh, Photo Plus is, and I've been waiting on this, you know, uh, for a while, but Pocket Wizard. 
has come out with their mini TT1 transmitter and Flex TT5, the the transceiver for for the Nikon Speedlight system. So these transmit and receive ITTL signals wirelessly using RF rather than line of sight. Well, actually, right now, yeah, they use line of sight. They're using the visible light spectrum to uh, send that exposure data back and forth between the camera and the the flash using these pocket wizard devices it becomes wireless and extends the the range so uh alex i'll throw it to you have you have you in your travels used any of these wireless systems and are you familiar with pocket wizard these are the wireless flash systems yeah no you haven't used any of them what about you Tyler? i don't use flashes oh yeah that's right you're you're yeah. the continuous light guy <laughs> i just i just I, I just like i don't know i don't, I don't continuous I, light or no light at all or, I don't understand. that's like my biggest challenge is i need to get more into flash photography i you know it, and being in the military we're the same thing it's natural light and i mean you can't start knocking out flashes in the uh, you know, <laughs> middle of afghanistan in the dark so it exactly. not be good but um i mean, train our photographers for, for for some flash stuff we have a few pocket wizards i just have not gotten into uh flash photography like i want to yet yeah well, you gotta we gotta bring jill mcnally back on because oh, he, yeah, he is the master of, is of the master. Nikon speed light and off-camera flash and all that stuff so definitely want to chat with him about this and see if he's if he's if he's into these wireless things these are cool i want to get one just because i don't know i probably won't use it but i just want to <laughs> want to get it just so i could say if i want to put my flash a mile away from my camera i could do it you know um what's what's next up in the news oh um there was this discussion about where is it i'm trying to find it in here i wanted to jump down to it oh hdr software at at Photo Plus, and we haven't talked about HDR in the show in a while. We need to probably have Trey Radcliffe back on. Uh, but there was, you know, I think a while ago there was this whole controversy over HDR and is it real photography and all this cool so, stuff. And, you know, and, and, I don't, I don't know. What you, hey. Ty, I want to get Tyler's I, thoughts I on say, this. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, no, go ahead Alex. Okay, so here's all I was going to say is yeah, that yep. I think it's really important before we before we enter this conversation <laughs> is to qualify the difference between tone mapping. Yeah, that's and what HDR. I was going to say first yeah, too. Okay, that's, do it. That's the big difference. No, go ahead, Alex. That's, that's it. When we when we shoot a high dynamic range image, what we're doing is we are we are we are gathering a series of exposures. Um, this can be as few as two. It can be as few as one, and as and as many as fifteen or twenty. Uh, typically, I'm shooting between three and nine. That's kind of my the range that I'm shooting at. Yep. Um, the, what the what an HDR is? I look at a pixel. Think of every pixel being there, and it says this pixel is this exposure, and then this exposure, then this exposure, then this exposure. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a curve. Uh, I'm going to build a likely curve of what all the exposures are in between those samples. So we've sampled out nine samples across a range of light. And when we see that, as we see that pixel changing, we can we can make an extrapolation of where it will go in either direction. Really, but 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 really, you have to define those two ends, the darkest and the lightest, and then in between, the more you put in there, the more accurate that's going to be. Now, that image by itself is not what we see on the web. That's not what you see in Flickr. That's not what For you see when cases, people talk yeah. about it. <laughs> they, 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 they don't, they, you, well, you, what you see is this thing that once we have that massive image, there's no way to display it. And so what we do is we decrease the contrast. We use that. We have all this information now, and we squash that contrast down um, so that, and there's a whole bunch of cheats that have to happen, so that you can pull all that information back together. And the harder you, the harder you push that, the more, um, you know, we have to make the decisions around the edges, and a lot of it looks like, 
uh, a lot of times when it's pushed too hard, what you end up with is uh, artifacts that look a lot like what sharpening does because there's a lot of algorithms that look a lot like Unsharp Mask that are being used to um, pull that information together. So what happens is, is that tone mapping is, you know, looks a little surreal and sometimes you'll see these halos well, around that look like, yeah. And so, and so when done, you know, it's a, the point is though is that a lot of these discussions, even when it's done well, it still creates this kind of hyper real look because you're really seeing an image that you can't really display. You know, you've squashed some stuff up, and it, 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 and, and it, it has a great effect. I like the effect. Um, I don't use it that often. I use HDRs themselves, the raw HDRs for lighting and backgrounds and all kinds Visual of other things. effects and stuff. Yeah, and so, so I use the HDRs in their pure, yeah. Yeah, in their pure form. Um, but, but I think that um, I, it, it, it's become a little bit of a um, point uh, that, I, that really drives me a little nutty. Of, of the way people are calling HDRs what they see on Flickr and they're talking about the quality of them and, they're, and, and then they get confused about what HDRs are versus ver- what tone mapping is. Anyway, right. that's all. I, and and t- Tyler, you, I'm sure you can add. No, that's the big difference is, is HDR with tone mapping. And, and there's software like the Photomatic software and some of the other software here at, that was at uh, Photo Plus Expos kind of tie, or trying to get into that market of creating this one-click button that'll merge everything together and then give you this surrealistic image. And it's just... You know, it is an artistic thing. It's it can be used for certain uses, but you have to be you know upfront that it's to me it, it's overdone and overused. I I think HDR technology in itself, just the high dynamic range of capturing multiple exposures and merging them properly so your skies and your foregrounds kind of they look like your eye would see it is we're really where we're heading dynamic range that's what we all want. We want better dynamic range, and so we're not at a point in technology where the sensor is able to catch. All of that from the from the outside to the inside. If you have a bright sun, you know, coming into a dark room, you just can't get all of that with uh, with one exposure right now. But with this technology, and now it's being embedded and put into the camera, so it does it on the fly. Um, we're really, I think, we're really moving forward with this. I know I've heard Steve talk about this on the show before, with from a photojournalistic standpoint, if it's ethical or not that way. Um, personally, in my opinion, I, as long as you're not altering an image, I feel it's ethical. I if if you, you know, what, whatever you could do in a dark room, you know, we, we kind of use this rule of thumb, but uh, taking these multiple exposures and, and merging them is just another way to capture exactly what you're icing. And in my opinion, that's almost a more accurate way as long as you're not trying to crop stuff out or, or blend stuff out of your shot. So uh, I, technology is definitely moving this way. We see it um, with, the, with the Red Epic, um, which is you know still coming out, but they've introduced this this mode in video. But keep in mind, red cameras and the Epic in the future are going to be shooting both still and photo. They're they're converged converged cameras, so people are going to be using these to capture still images. Right. And they've developed a new system for HDR in in this red Epic. It looks incredible for video. And I I mean they they shot had this bar, shot in the barn. Uh, Alex, did you see that shot? I haven't seen it yet. Oh yeah, uh, did you see the one in in Las Vegas either? Yeah. I have to yeah. send you. Send, yeah, yeah. So they and it's just these these realistic looking shots the way you know your eye would see it. And you don't normally see that quality from uh, from. Yeah, and, and we're going to get to a point. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we're we're going down this path where we're going to yes. end up able to shoot thirty or sixty frames a second at twenty two stops. You know, and yes. then we're going to make a decision. We're not going to. We'll make a decision about how we expose that later. And and I don't think that there's necessarily an ethical issue. I think that because I, I think that we we make a lot of choices when we decide. As a photojournalist, where we point the camera, we've already yeah. made a huge decision. We've already huge crossed decision. out a huge part of, of what, what's going on. You know, we all know that if we take our camera and we lift it up and point it down, the crowd will look bigger. <laughs> you know, and, and, 
You know, and we all know that, sure. you know, and these are all things that, to be honest with you, I think make the, what happens when we fire that camera off makes a bit, much bigger difference than all these little things that we're talking about here. Yeah. And I would, I would argue that, and Tyler, you mentioned that, that just HDR overall is, has been pushed and overdone. I'd say maybe by some people, but in the end, I think we all have to remember that, like, like you guys were just saying, HDR or the technique of HDR is just another tool in our tool belt, right? Exactly. So, so you can, you Something can miss. Yeah, you can misuse a hammer and hit someone in the head with it, you know, and you've misused the hammer, but if you can also build a house with it and use it correctly. So No, and I agree 100%. Anything like HDR panoramas or time lapse or anything you can do to to build your, you know, your kit bag, your tool bag, you can pull this thing out if a client asks for it or if a customer asks for it. If you just want to learn it yourself, is just going to make you a stronger photographer. So don't just say, okay, HDR tone mapping is a bad thing. I'm never going to try it. Go right. ahead and try it. See, learn it. Know how it works the limitations of it as well and then you use it as you see fit well and the other thing is fill up your slow time experimenting with all these things because the problem is is that when a client comes and does this what you don't want is to uh, have to figure it out on the fly so you know you want to you want to use up time this is the kind of things you do when things slow down uh, is figuring these these things out or while you're getting started is constantly playing with all these technologies uh, and improving your skill you have to constantly be sharpening that sword um, you know to make sure that when you need it you know it's it's razor sharp Absolutely. All right, guys, let's move on. Um, Panasonic has unveiled an, an interesting new Micro Four Thirds camera. Um, and the, the the fact that they revealed this new 12.1 megapixel camera, it's the, the Lumix DMC GF2, um, is not what I wanted to talk about. What I wanted to talk about is their move to, A, using interchangeable lenses on this device, and B, a touch control on it. And Alex, I want to see where your head is and when are we going to see DSLRs feature touch interfaces as the norm? When do you think? Oh, I think it's coming. I think it's going to be coming pretty quickly. I mean, I think that we, I got a lot of the cameras we buy now, the little video cameras we buy are all, are all uh, touchscreen, which drives me a little crazy <laughs> uh, because uh, the, the problem with a lot of these touchscreens is that they're not made at the level that we see on an iPhone. And I think <laughs> so the problem spoiled. <laughs> well, I, I, but I think this is a problem. I mean, like, I just, we have a, we have a Sony, uh, not a Sony, a uh, Canon uh, HS21. We've got, like, four of these that we use for witness cameras for motion capture. Yeah. And, um, and uh, they have, they all have touch screens. And the problem is I just feel like I have to jam them every single time I want to do something. And the interfaces are really painful because they're written, you know, they're written by people who are writing it for these little BIOSes and so on and so forth. I think the real question, and I'm just going to keep on coming back to it, is when we can just control these cameras with our iPhone because, or our Android. It doesn't matter which one. The point That's is exactly that, what I want. that <laughs> when, when we see this. Well, the thing is, is that, that whether it's Apple or Samsung or, you know, doing the Android or whatever it is, the level of touchscreen is so much higher on these things. The problem that I think a lot of these phone manufacturers are going to get into, not phone, uh, camera manufacturers are going to get into, is people are now really used to what touchscreen should look like. And when they screw it up, which is what they generally do, uh, and it's not just the way that they have the sensitivity of these touchscreens, but it's also the interfaces. So it's, it's like, okay, we can, we can touch it, but it's still like a drop, drop, drop down menus and you're still going through stuff. And the thing is, is that on the Android and on the iPhone, we've kind of moved past that. You know, there's, you know like we're kind of used to a lot more pinch and move things around mm-hmm. and everything else. And these phones really have to either catch up or give up. You know, and I think that, the, that I think that one phone's going to decide to do it, and suddenly there's going to be a bunch of phones that do it that that'll let you use your your personal computer. You know, really, which is really what these Android and iPhones are: your little personal computer to run the phone. I mean, run the run the camera, or they're going to have to really spend a lot of money in R and D, a lot more than they're spending now. 
Yeah. What do you guys? I can see this for consumer markets where you know you have the touchscreen and stuff, and we've seen that in the past. What do you guys think for pro markets? Think about a D three or a five D Mark II or one D series touchscreen and and those cameras. Do you ever do you ever see that coming to play, or or is it are we stuck to the you know, the muscle memory of this is where my shutter button is, this is where my aperture dial is, and this is, you know, it feels right, this is how it should work. I think um, there, there's got to be a happy medium, Tyler. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I would love to have this iPhone-type, you know, really sensitive configure purpose, you know, or, or feature configuring UI on the back of my camera. But uh, when I think of it practically, like if I'm in a dark environment, I need to not, I need to be able to touch and control the camera without having a bright light on you know so that you know it needs to you need to have these tactile sort of physical controls on a camera in order to be effective but for things like okay i'm sending it on a tripod and i want to do a a time lapse and and program some intricate sequence of events that my camera needs to do uh, the the only way to do that is with a touchscreen but if you're out like you're saying you're in afghanistan somewhere you can't have that (laughs) that light coming on you know while you're while you're making changes to your settings well i think also we we need to look at you know i think the first step for a lot of these the higher end dsl LRs is just proper SDKs um, that that we can now use to access the camera. So yes. just to give me a USB login and let me figure out how I'm going to control it tethered to an iPad, to an iPhone, to a, an Android. Uh, and, and, and you know these manufacturers have to open this up a little bit. And Nikon has been much further behind. Canon has actually some some of those controls um, that are available, uh, but it's hard. You know both of them are are not where they should be. And I think that camera manufacturers should really be, in the pro area, should really be allowing the pros to design their own interfaces because, if anything, it's going to give them ideas about what they should be doing for their camera. You'll see a whole bunch of applications written for the Canon that show up on the App Store that well, show I mean, a whole bunch of different that, ways of interacting. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, that's what made the iPhone in a way. I mean, it was the App Store. It's, it's giving yeah. these people to write, take the SDK, develop apps for it, and that's what, that's what made it huge. I, I mean. Know. Yeah. So. Can you imagine uh, an app store for your DSLR? Uh, well, but just but you don't need, they don't even need an app store for a DSLR. All they need to do is let their let the uh, uh, give their SDK you know make their SDK available and let app developers that are already have an app store on the on the iTunes store just develop apps that can control your Canon or control yeah. your Nikon. That's the first step. They they can decide where they want to go after that, but they got to open that stuff up. They got to make that more available because if they do that, I think they're going to see an explosion. Whoever does it first is going to be one of those it's going to be another one of those 5D moments yeah. where, you know, there are a lot of people like if Nikon did this and did a solid SDK, I can say right now I would I would get rid of all my Canon stuff. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it I mean, just it, seems it, like it would be just so cool, you know, just thinking through it to be if you had this camera or this DSLR of the future that was you know connected through wireless technology, either through Wi-Fi or 3G, always on, so you could shoot and upload effortlessly, and then download apps because it has a store in it. You could say, okay, I want to download an app that that lets me emulate this this technique that Tyler Ginter demonstrated. You know, so I, I download an app and boom, it's on my camera. Now I can go shoot and upload directly to some location that Tyler has set aside for people that are using this app. And, you know, it seems like there's a whole world of people out there that could uh, that would use it. I would, t- I would definitely use it. I'd spend a lot of money buying apps for my phone or for my camera. Yeah, it would be it would be huge. 
Yeah. Yeah. We need that. Can you can you make sure that happens, Alex? I'm yeah, working Alex. on it. Well, that's, <laughs> well, 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 by by us talking. Invest, invest yeah. stock. Let me know when to invest stock in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the thing is, is our listeners just need to make sure that anytime they have an opportunity to talk to a Canon rep, a uh, Canon product manager, or an Icon product manager, or Sigma, just just you know, we need to use the power of our of our. Uh, of our listenership, uh, if if you if you think this is a good idea, just make sure every time you walk by one of their booths, you tell them. Yeah, they'll, 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 you know the thing is, is, we can talk about it all we want here, but if if you start you know using all the avenues you can to talk to these camera, camera manufacturers, we have a lot of listeners, you know, and so um, they listen too. They take feedback. So yeah, so yeah, they well, especially if they start getting thousands of, yes, of emails exactly. and lots of stuff, they'll go, oh, okay, well, this is, this might be a good idea. It'll at least get get us into a meeting. So if you're listening. <laughs> you know, well, well, you know what we ought to do is we'll find avenues for you to give feedback back to these um, uh, guys without driving them crazy. Uh, we'll do do a little research on that, and, and in, in, in a future show, we'll kind of give you the exact places to go on the web that you can uh, that you can do that with. Sounds good. Hey, Alex, uh, you're on a roll. Who's our Who's our second sponsor? Um, our second sponsor is Squarespace.com, and uh, we. We love Squarespace. Squarespace is just the easiest way to build, put up your website. Uh, you don't have to worry about hosting. You don't have to worry about coding. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. What you can do is if you want to, if you're, you know, you finally decide you want to put your, your shingle up and, uh, and start talking about your business or your family or your project or your restaurant or whatever it is, you can just throw this up. You can put it together in an afternoon. Uh, it's all WYSIWYGs. You're sitting on the web and you're just kind of making, oh, I want it to be wider. I want this kind of format. There's lots and lots of templates to work from. Lots of things to build there. And, uh, and so you can just kind of throw all that stuff together um, and you can get it running. And it's happening the moment that you, as you design it, you can actually be looking at it. People can be looking at it. You can immediately make it available. Uh, and, and Tyler, you just built a site on Squarespace, didn't you? Yeah. So, and, you know, I started out with WordPress, but coming into this project where I, I was working on some, for some friends down from college, they're built, they, they had this thing developed for what's called 100 Cameras. It's basically a nonprofit organization that, give uh, cameras to children around the world. They've done projects in Africa, New York City, and, and uh, other places, but they give these cameras out to these kids. The kids document their everyday lives. They collect back up the imagery, and they uh, put on this website to sell it to people for to give back to charity to the kids in these, these, these locations. So really cool product project that they're working on, and they had this other site, and I started out with WordPress, and I'm just like, you know, it's not going to be easy for them to manage an upgrade if I, you know, as I move on to other things or if they, you know, as they grow. Another thing is it's not, you know, WordPress isn't as updatable and easy to use and manage where Squarespace is all in one. You know, they pay the monthly fee and everything else is handled. The server space is handled. Uh, the, 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 all the blogging, all the videos are easy to embed. All the links are right there and, and you can really build your site. I, you know, I, I spent almost two and a half, three months working on this WordPress site that I was working on them, literally a week of Squarespace and I had their site almost up and running. That's uh, awesome. So it's, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's great stuff. So yeah. So if you want to get, yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, if you want to get started with it, you can go to squarespace.com slash TWIP. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP. You're not going to need a credit card. Uh, you can just build your site. Uh, you can um, you know, test it out and see how it works for you. Uh, and uh, if you decide to use it, uh, you can get 10% off for life if you use the offer code TWIP, a TWIP. So once again, that's squarespace.com slash TWIP. 
All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. All right. It's time for some listener Q&A. Every week, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com forward slash forum, and they find the best questions for us to answer and tackle on the show. This week's question, uh, or this week's questions, number one is from Wayback. Uh, uh, the, his name is Wayback in the TWIP forums. Uh, Tyler, you want to take this? You can just, you know, read the, the yeah, piece of um, this. Yeah. This, uh, he asked, I'm what you call low budget photographer. One reason I'm kept the low or investment low just in case is there any term on my right hand which makes handheld shooting very problematic. Very. But as a practical matter, tripods are just real pain in my situa- in many situations. So I think I need to look at monopods, the lowest cost monopods. So he's basically asking, you know, what is the low cost valuable monopod that you can use? Now, personally, um, I don't really shoot with monopods anymore. We used to have them in the field, but we kind of use more gorilla pods and stuff now because there's just so much light, more lightweight. You can bend them around and attach them to stuff. But for a monopod, and this is he was looking for something thirty dollars or less. I didn't really find it. I mean, there's there's basic plain monopods, but a little over a hundred dollars. There's a really cool monopod. And you can watch this video tutorial we'll put in the show notes that I had done when I was originally researching monopods for our kits that we were building. It's the six eighty five B Neotech monopod. And the cool thing about this, other than just a standard monopod that you drop out is it has a squeeze handle in it that just, you know, you have the camera, you squeeze it up and down and, and you readjust on the fly. So it's very fast. The benefit of having a monopod versus shooting handheld, especially when you get lower than 160th of a second shutter speed, is you get tack sharp images and you can do even some, some long, not long, long exposure with, a, you know, because anything really below 115th, even probably 130th or so, you really want a tripod, but yeah. you can get some pretty good shots. Uh, with a monopod and they're lightweight and portable and easy to move around so i would definitely look into into something maybe cheaper than this one but for the rest of the audience the 685b is a really good one and then you can put a head like the uh, 498rc2 this head is not only good for uh, monopods it's great for tripods i've been using it for time lapse and also for uh, hdr and panoramas it has actually has like a little uh not a compass but it's it kind of has a dial that shows you what degrees you're on, oh, so wow. you can kind of move it and and you know move it to this angle, move it to this angle, move it to that angle, and it's very kind of like the standard uh, ball head for, and it has a quick release plate on it for any kind of tripod as for photographers. Can you can flip it to the side to portrait and landscape? Oh, so that's I awesome. definitely use that a lot for my uh, for time lapse now. What are we What are we looking at as as far as cost for the 685B and the 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 685B I think is around 120, 130, and that's about the same price for the uh, ball head too. So awesome. they're a little bit up there, but I mean these are these are Manfrotto tools that last forever. So you put it in your tool bag and your kids, as long as you don't lose it, it's not going to go bad on you. Yeah, so. that's a good point. I mean when you're when you're investing in the the fundamental sort of foundational items for your kit. Don't skimp on tripod stuff. Don't buy the cheap okay. camera store, you know, on the corner tripod for twenty bucks and expect to get some really sharp HDR images out of it. Should you know save a couple more weeks and buy something like a Manfrotto that uh, that will last you for uh, like ten years or so, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what that that's what I recommend. All right, awesome. All right, question number two is from Hawaii Bob from, you guessed it, Honolulu. He says, I've been happily shooting with a kit lens that came with my D300. It's got an AFS um, 18 to 70 millimeter lens. and But he says, but now he wants to upgrade. He has 900 bucks. Any suggestions? Fast uh, 50. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yep. That's right. Yep. Uh, let me just say something real quick. and Because I, I get questions all the time from my friends they buy a 70 they buy a d300 or they buy whatever and you know they all have these kit lenses 
And these kit lenses, people just need to understand. Lenses and glass is one of those things you want to invest in. Yep. Camera bodies, they go places. They get better every freaking six months. There's a new camera body that comes out from these manufacturers. You can have a lens, a good 50 millimeter lens to last you 15, 20 years, and it still hopefully will work with your camera. I mean, look at Nikon. You can have 50, I mean, you have 50 millimeter lenses. How many years old? I mean, crazy, 30, 30 some years or so that I know people with that have these lenses that still work. So keep in mind, have a good investment. Uh, the 51.4s, I wouldn't go to the 51.8s. Uh, they're just, they're not, ex- for the price range and build quality, I would recommend they're the 51.4 is in the 300 to 400 dollar range the other good thing about a fast 50 is it really challenges you to get outside your comfort zone and to you know get in there and get in with the subject i mean that was one cool thing that steve simon was actually talking about in his workshop is being comfortable around people and getting close to them and the 50 is kind of like what your eye sees so mm-hmm. it, it really challenges you to get out of your comfort zone from having that zoom lens where you can go wherever you want and shoot with these primes and then you get good low light and great depth of field and for you know an incredible price so i i tell people don't even get the kit lens mm-hmm. buy your 7d or your d300 or whatever get the 51.4 start out with that learn that and then as you get better get another prime or maybe by that time you just aren't comfortable enough with a priming and then you can get a zoom yeah but absolutely. i really challenge people to, to start with a prime it really and challenges I, the photographer for, i know for me I, I just feel like like the zooms are not uh i'm i'm just so used to the sharpness and the uh you know the the, the really short depth of field that i get with the primes that I, i'm kind of used to the to that now and i i have a you know my standard carrying is the 50 the 28 and the in the eight <laughs> the eight i'm shooting you know quick time VR panos with, but, but those are the three, like if I'm just going to carry something around now, I may take the 24 to 70 with me. Um, you know, if I, if I really want to have something that I can move around, it is nice to have a zoom every once in a while. But, uh, but for me, those are the kind of the real, um, you know, go to lenses that are all, the other thing you'll find is that when you have prime lenses, they're small. Like if you got, if you get really good glass, that's a, that, that is a zoom, it's a big, heavy lens and you'll tend to not want to carry it around as much. That's been my experience. So if I'm, if I'm out shooting uh, architecture, or locations, I'll tend to pull a 28 out. Um, and if I'm going to shoot people, I tend to pull the 50 out. And I just kind of swap between those two a lot of the time. Uh, I know that's just my, yeah, my side of that. I would say, just to piggyback on both, on both of you guys, the uh, 50 millimeter, you know, fast 50, absolutely. But one of, the, one of the, the great things that you get when you start with a 50, especially if you're a beginning photographer, is you start building that muscle memory around what happens with different shutter speeds and what apertures you you reduce that variable of okay now i'm at this this focal length and so my aperture setting is doing something different than it did when i was at 50 then it was at 18 you know you you lock it down so that you can say okay now hmm when i take a step closer to this object i'm shooting the background looks like this at this aperture you know yeah we have uh we have 51.4s in every one of our kits and i actually sometimes we do photo challenges where we say you cannot use anything but your 51.4 and your 5D Mark II. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's, that's your photo challenge and see what you can get. And it really challenges you to get in there and, and get that shot. Yeah, Tyler, I, I, told, I, I talked on the show a while back. We, when I was active duty, we did this, this um, exercise in Denver when I was in training, photography training actually, where we had to go to downtown Denver at, with a 51.4 on a uh, DSLR, or not a DSLR, on an SLR back with <laughs> one roll of slide oh, film. No. One, roll of, awesome. one roll of slide film, but we had to come back, I think it was with 30 head and shoulder portraits. 
That's awesome. <laughs> that were exposed properly, crop pro- which means we had to get into the personal space. We had to understand how to control our camera. You know, the next challenge is a fourteen millimeter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't pay no attention to, get, to the front to of. Punched. Yeah, pay no attention to the front of my lens touching yeah, your nose. Touching your nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that's that's really good t- ways to challenge yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is definitely. It was def- You know, when we were going down there, I was like, ah, this is easy. I'll be done before lunch. Man, that was that was hard. You well, know? and I think I think that there's something really uh, great about using a single like when you when you reduce all your variables, whatever that is, um, to a prime, to a single location, to a whatever it is, uh, to a, this is what I'm going to shoot. It really forces something out of you to understand your camera a lot better. Um, you know, and I think that that's, you know, finding ways to challenge yourself, uh, to do those kind of things, um, is really useful. I shoot, as I said, I, I, was, I shoot a lot of pictures of my kids. Almost all of them are shot within a, you know, close to the house. And there's only a couple areas in the house that I can shoot. And I find that I'm learning a lot about lighting, you know, a lot about like how I handle lighting and how I handle the depth of field and how I handle the framing because it's the same place all the time. And, but I need to have it look different. I need to feel different. I need to want to get a new photo out of it. And, uh, and it's, I find that it's really stretching my capabilities um, rather than just taking them somewhere new. Yep. All right. Question number three is from Tim A. in Toronto, Ontario. And he's basically saying he's got his first photography contract. He's very excited. He's watched other photographers work. And so he's pretty clear on some basic best, best practices, such as asking the clients which shots they absolutely want, etc. But he's wondering on the business side of things, what sort of agreement should he have between himself and the client to ensure that his images are appropriately and or that are used appropriately and that everything's on the level um are there any freely available document templates he can use or is this the kind of thing that he needs to spend thousands of dollars on lawyers to draft for him alex what do you think thousands of dollars of lawyers (laughs) really there's no there's there's a lot of i mean i I don't know where they are we've spent thousands of dollars with lawyers uh the um there's a, there's a lot of tools out there. There's, I mean, boilerplates that you can look at and you can go online and find contracts. And a lot of them are going to generally, um, you know, cover most of the, the issues that you need to. You might need to go back and forth and noodle with a couple of the, uh, of the small items. Uh, if you find that you're, um, uh, if, you, if, you don't, if you really don't feel like you can trust someone to use your images correctly, uh, chances are your contract is going to be difficult and expensive to adjudicate. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be very hard for you to do anything with that. Um, uh, and if you and then you want if you if you do think that, then what you want is to try to find a very one sided contract that hopefully they don't notice, <laughs> you know, to make sure that, you know, and, and, and sometimes if they're depending on how much time they spend with lawyers, they you may give them something that is pretty one sided, like I own everything and you can use it when I tell you to. And, you know, you can, you know, and, and if you don't trust someone, you'll at least want to start the conversation, something leaning a little bit more towards your rights. Um, if you trust them, you'll probably do it towards the center. And if you really trust them and you really like them or you really like the project, you might allow them to have more control than, than what you have. I mean, I've made deals with friends who have shot, you know, photos for me that there's not a lot of, you know, it's kind of a handshake deal and they give me, you know, all the raw data and, and I manage it appropriately. Yeah. But, but you have to, you know, you just have to decide what your trust level is with a client versus like a friend versus people I don't know. Now, that said, even with a friend, you should have an agreement about what that is because, you know, good fences always make good neighbors and nebulous agreements um, tend to uh, unwind over time. Yeah. Hey, Tyler, you have anything to add to that? Uh, no, not a whole lot. I mean, that's, that's basically the premise is, you know, if you, you want to work, have good working relationships with your clients in the first place and, 
you know, as long as you have the basic legal stuff worked out, there should be no issues. Awesome. All right, guys, we're at the pick of the week time. Uh, this is where each guest on the show gives a pick. And remember, this pick can be software, hardware, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography in some way, shape, or form. Tyler, you are the new guy, so I'm going to throw it to you first. Okay, well, I, I wanted to throw out a really cool uh, time-lapse trigger that's not going to break your budget. So I know on Canons, there's, you know, if you buy the gener- or the standard Canon intervalometer, it's almost 150, 160 bucks. If you go to Link Delight, and we'll put this in the show notes, they have a $20. It comes from like Hong Kong. I bought three of them. It takes about two to three weeks to ship, but once you get it, identical, perfectly work, works great, have no issues with it. And uh, I've been doing a whole lot of time-lapse lately. I actually got the chance to visit Tom Lowe, who's a time-lapse uh, photographer, and uh, he's doing some amazing work. Hopefully, we'll put some of his stuff in the show, not, show notes from Rapture. Yep. But I actually have a whole blog post I just put up with the experience there and then shared my time-lapse checklist. And the cool thing about time-lapse is I know Alex has talked a lot about on the show with just having it built into these, like, you know, handheld or these, like, smaller, you know, point-and-shoot cameras, which is incredible. But also keep in mind with these DSLRs, you have an incredibly powerful tool at your hands already if you start to do time-lapse. And that's, you know, you're shooting basically, you know, four or five K raw files uh, and turning that into video, which can be used and broadcast almost in IMAX theaters. And so you have a whole lot of control and there's some really creative stuff you can do with long exposures and uh, astrophotography. And so, yeah, if you head over to my blog, you can read more about it and the links in there too, to get that intervalometer. But I, I definitely highly recommend you, you know, testing that, that that kind of stuff out i have a question i saw some of the stuff that you guys did and it was great um are you are, what are you using as a tripod to do the you're doing pans oh so it's all motion control stuff and so uh kessler crane has this cine slider and it's uh basically it's it's motorized so it has a little box and you plug in you want to go from this side to this side in this much time so it's you can't even see it to the eye, but it's slowly creeping down over a 10-hour period, taking 30-second exposures down the, down, down, down the line. That's great. We're also using things like uh, a crane that we did, and that's in my blog. It actually shows behind the scenes that I filmed of the crane coming up over a 10-hour period over top of these rock cliffs. And then he's doing things that I've never before done with what's called a cam block. And this company is basically building this custom for him. It's like an $18,000 rig. And it's, uh, it's, it dollies down the track, it pans and it tilts, and it's all keyframable down the track. So you said it, I want to point here at this time, at this time I want to point it here, and as it moves down the track over a 10-hour period, it'll do all these crazy moves for you automatically. It's, it's insane stuff what he's working on. But you, know, you can start and get all the way to that level, or you can do static time-lapse and just get some incredible stuff and do uh, minor pans in post. It just doesn't give that realistic effect that you could get from uh, from motion control stuff. What is what is one of those rigs go for generally, Tyler? Oh, like the Kessler Cine Slider rig is, um, I think, like a thousand or two thousand for all the parts. Oh, wow! But there's actually companies right now that are. Uh, there's one called Dynamic Perception, and then uh, F9 Photo is building one. Uh, they're just going to be they're they're trying to bring them down in price basically, and they actually have this. Uh, open source code i forget what it's called right now but it's this open source project code that they're using to develop this time lapse stuff so you can either do stop go stop or down the line and then you it's really built into like take the intervalometer into the camera directly and stuff like that so very cool technology it's definitely i say you know look at time lapse it's going to really start taking off 
Um, and, and just because everybody has a DSLR now, and you yeah. buy a dollar remote, and you can start doing just incredible work that can essentially be seen and, and mixed in with any feature film. So you, hear, so you heard it here first. Tyler Ginter predicts that uh, time-lapse photography will be the next HDR. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> It is. It's. It is. It is mesmerizing. I mean, yeah. when you when you when you shoot. I shoot a lot of time lapse with these little cameras, and it is so much fun. To, it, you you just see so much going on uh, that it's, it's. It is a lot of fun. Tyler, you think it's possible to do a, a HDR time lapse? Oh uh, yeah, there's been some people playing around with that. Actually, it's definitely. Um, there's a lot that goes into it because you're basically capturing. I mean, the post processing that alone because. You're, you know, if you're capturing three 21 megapixel raw files, that's like almost 60 megabytes. You're first compressing, and then <laughs> yep. you have to, you know, compress that time down. And after, I mean, you're the processing on it alone for one shot could take a long time. So, well, yeah. the other uh, thing, the other thing is that, yeah, the other thing is is that you have two different things going on. One is you have to do multi exposure, and the other is you have to do time lapse. And so, the programmability of it is the thing, thing that I that I've been kind of caught up with is how do you what's the best way to set it up where you every you're going to shoot nine exposures really close together every you know uh, minute well, that, and that's exactly what this new open source code is going to allow people to start developing for the intervalometer. So basically, what Alex is saying is you have say you want to capture the sunrise. Well, the sunrise actually happens within fifteen to twenty minutes. But you know if you but if you want to capture this the, like a day to night. You can slow it down towards the period of the sunrise and then speed it back up throughout the day, and you do that automatically so it looks natural and and, and you don't have to deal with that in post. So there's there's definitely projects that are working around that, but it gets very 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 technical. And uh, Tom Lowe is definitely one of the masters out there doing this right now. It's just really cool stuff. Awesome, yeah. So links to that in the show notes for this show, and we'll we'll connect over to your what is it TylerGinter.com, right? TylerGinter.com, yep. Awesome, Alex. What's your pick? So my pick is more of a go do something. So it's, it's the beginning of November, as you may have noticed. Mm-hmm. And we're about to, you know, have our son taken away from us in the evening, you know, yes. the, uh, and, uh, which I'm bitter about. But anyway, uh, but we're getting close to Christmas. And you're probably thinking about, if you're like me, you're starting to think about Christmas gifts. And you won't actually think about them seriously until December 20th. Um, and, and then you'll be panicked. And then you'll go out and buy something that, eh, you know, you th- the, the thought was there. Um, that's, that's typically, you know, how, how a lot of these gifts end up. And I'm just going to give you a – my pick is something to do for Christmas that will make you very popular and probably get – probably be in the same price range possibly that you had uh, – that you had planned to buy for uh, some of your friends and family. And that is a book. Print a book of photos that you took. It can be of your kids. It can be of projects. It can be of a trip. It can be of something like that. A little, a little book here. I'm, I'm, the reason I was thinking about it is this week I've been putting together uh, a book um, myself uh, in Aperture. And Aperture is really easy. You just kind of you know, say, oh, I want to make a book. And then you start dragging stuff in and doing, doing what you're doing. Um, but I, I believe that uh, – does, does Lightroom do that as well? Uh, no, it does not. It does not have a book engine. But there are lots of book engines that you can get. So you can do this on the web. You can yeah. do this on – you don't need to use – if you don't have Aperture or iPhoto. iPhoto does it automatically. I mean, iPhoto has it built in. Aperture has it built in. You can do it on Blurb, blurb. Fact, blurb.com some, or something somebody, like that. Somebody here on the show, I think, actually worked on some of this stuff. Uh, yeah, somebody I did. Go. <laughs> so anyway, so, um, so anyway, so the um, – uh, but these – you know, the thing is, is that uh, – you know, I with iPhoto and with well, most mostly with Aperture, I have this huge library in Aperture, and I just my mom yesterday asked me for prints, and I just go up to the Aperture and I just go, oh, I want print, 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 and I and I sent it, and then I it's charged to my dot Mac account, and I don't think about it again, um, and then I you know, but I but I re, you know what she really wants is is stuff in print, I and a lot of us who are shooting these photos think of everything as being. 
uh, digital. Like I don't really view images in print very often anymore. Um, you know, they're on my screens, they're on, you know, my iPhone, they're on my iPad, but I don't really think about putting them on the wall that often. Yeah. And, um, and, but our family oftentimes does. And there is something about having a real book that makes a difference. And it's not that expensive anymore. And you can get really high quality versions. So Blurb is what, one of the ones you were talking about. Yep. There's a bunch of other ones. Go research them. We'll do some more research. In fact, we should research this over the next week or two because mm-hmm. people are getting ready for Christmas. So, so I'll dig into this a little bit more past Aperture and iPhoto, which are the only ones I've used because they're just easy. You know, I don't have to think about them. And, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll look at a little bit more of that, uh, and we'll talk about it in, in the upcoming weeks. Because, uh, but start collecting your photos. Start thinking about that. It doesn't take very long to print the book, and I guarantee that you're going to get a lot of reaction um, of doing, a, you know, doing a, a great little book. It doesn't have to be very many pages. It's just something very original, and it's something very personal. And people are always going to want that over, uh, almost, you know, always want that over top of, you know, just something general. So you know, Alex, so last week we mentioned um, the fo- the 365 photo project that you say your sister's doing, and, yeah, and my brother, and your brother. Yeah. Wouldn't it be half co- my wouldn't, friends? Wouldn't it be cool to have a book of that? Oh yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah. That'd be a great idea that'd of doing very cool. that. Your this is this was my 365 for the year. Yeah, and it would take you. And just to kind of put it in perspective, I don't know how long it takes to do the other ones. In Aperture, to put together a 365 book would take me about an hour and a half. I mean, just so you, you understand how, how when you're using a lot of this stuff, uh, whether it's uh, iPhoto Aperture or a third-party uh, thing, if, they, if that's set up well, and, and I'll do some tests to see what those other ones look like, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take that much because a lot of these templates are all there and you just drag the images in. You just kind of drag, oh, I want them here, I want them here. You're, you know, there's not a lot of layout. And you end up with something that looks very professional and, um, uh, and, uh, and it looks great and it doesn't take very long and you can kind of organize them all. And, and something like a 365 would be really easy because it's all, you know, you're going to put them in that order anyway. You just have to decide what each page is laid out as. Yep. So um, anyway, uh, I definitely think about it i think that you're going to find that that's just a great way to it's something you can give to yourself but also you know i think a lot of your friends and family would love to get books of your kids of your family of your you know of uh, it's the next generation of sending that photo out um you know at christmas <laughs> awesome perfect thanks alex all right and my pick of the week is um a screen sharing utility that i just found a couple days ago it's called glance at glance.net and we'll link to this in the show notes as well but it's uh we're we're considering doing some screencast type training webinar things uh for the show and maybe using this for it but it's it unlike go to meeting which is a little prohibitively expensive for just like the one-off kind of thing that you want to do glance is really cheap and it works on mac and pc and it's it's kind of cool so you know that's my pick just go check it out at glance.net and if you need to do like if you're just an you're a, just somebody that wants to share your screen with somebody you know another person you of course you can use Skype but if you want to do it with more than one person you'd use something like glance so you can have like a bunch of people in the room how many is a bunch up to 100 i believe up to 100 so and can you talk over that as well yes you can they have a they have a a voice over ip line that comes with your room when you set it up so it's kind of cool. We have to try it out, Alex. We have to test it. We'll test it. You know, we have a uh, go to seminar. Oh. Uh, you know, we actually have a subscription to go to seminar. So we do up to a hundred. I don't know if it's four ninety nine a year. Um, you know the. Uh, uh, and I don't think it's that expensive. I think it's two ninety nine a year for a hundred. Um, so if you do like a one off webinar, like and you're you're charging for it, you can just do fifty bucks and pay for it, and you're done. 
Yeah, so and they have a day pass of nine ninety five. Yeah, there you <laughs> so go. you can, if you want to do one, uh, that's really interesting. I said we we use a lot of go to, and I have to say, no matter what you use, whether it's Glance or Go to Webinar or whatever, uh, you know, it's you've got to be playing with these. Uh, we do a lot of R and D in this area, and this yeah. is the future. It's this the future. is the future. Yeah, everyone has a screen. Everyone has bandwidth, mostly. So you know, yeah. why not share it? We're about to start doing classes in uh, next year. We'll be doing classes in Rwanda from my house. Oh. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I, I just for some reason i just think that it's the most insane that's why we're rebuilding all the studios in my like my my second house my office house that's yes. behind my main house and uh uh i'm it's gonna be there's gonna be six studios uh individual little studios that are built around the around my house and they're all designed around this idea of being able to train stuff and work so this is something what you're talking about with glance is is what we're heavily focused on. Yeah, as I, 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 I wholeheartedly believe that that's, that's part of the future of distance learning. It's got to be. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. We are at the end of the show, unfortunately. Um, Alex, where can people find you online? Uh, the best place is still the Twitters. Alex Lindsay, all one word. Always and, in the Twitters. Uh, I, I, I will, um, I, I'll make you upset. Uh, sometimes I'll entertain you. Um, you know, but you know, you, you can watch for a week. I think I, I was I was pretty. You outrageous. entertain me, Alex. I, I was a little outrageous over the last week. I, That's entertaining, I lost, though. I lost a lot of viewers. <laughs> did you really? What did you say? What did you say? Well, there was a there was a uh, there was two things. One is I lost my I lost my car. My car has now become the the largest thing I've ever lost. I found it again, but, but how did you lose your car? <laughs> Like, how does one lose a car? I don't know if that's really pertinent to the show. How oh, it is it. now because you brought it up. How do you lose well, a car? I, I, so I, I can be very focused, as you may have guessed, and I can be very pattern-oriented. And, and so I always go, when I go over to buy, like, milk or, or other things at the local store, it's right down the street. But, you know, um, and I just walk down and get it and walk back. I was in a rush. The barbecue was ready. and I needed a, I needed a can of beer for my chicken because I put it in the chicken to make it moist and yummy. Anyway, so the... Um, uh, and I, I didn't have it and I needed to be ready. So I jumped in the car and I, I drove down there. But then I went back to autopilot when I left the, the store and I just walked back to the house. <laughs> not only, okay, okay, but not only did I, did I forget that the, that the car was there, I forgot that I took the car there. Like, <laughs> it was not part of it because it was so nothing. Not, I oh, never do no. it. And I was so thinking about other things that, we, that, so then we got the kids all dressed up for Halloween and we went to go trick or treating and the car was gone. And my, and my wife was like, where's the car? And I'm like, I don't know. Oh, don't tell me you called the police. I so I won't tell you that I called the police. You did. You called the police. Oh man! So then, about a half an hour later, we get this call from the Petaluma police going, "We found your car. Are you sure you didn't move it?" You oh man! They were very. The Petaluma police were very understanding, and they didn't charge me some kind of outrageous sum. At least I, I don't I haven't gotten a bill yet. You know, so um, they seem to be pretty. Uh, you know, they said we erased it all, and if they charged me for it, I would totally understand because it was a really idiot move. And so, um, so that was the you know. So everyone, so, but the worst part of Twitter is, of course, is that there's twenty thousand people that knew that I first that I my car was stolen, <laughs> and they knew that my that I lost my car and I got it back, and it was all my fault. I didn't talk about. I didn't go into the gory details like on this show. <laughs> Uh, about about how how stupid it was, but um, so anyway, you, you then, lost some stock there, Alex. I think, you and, then, <laughs> and then that wasn't the one that I think. I think that was just me just looking like an idiot. The the second one was I got, I was a little opinionated about Prop nineteen. Mm-mm. Oh, he uh, got political. Oh, the thing is, is that I'm not. You know. So I don't like drugs. I don't like the way, you know, I don't like feeling like I'm not in control. I don't like marijuana. I don't like any of that stuff, but I just don't like spending money on it. Like yeah. our government spending money on it. Yeah. And so yeah. I, 
so I was so I'm, I was a big fan of Prop 19. Most of not not for marijuana. I just think we should you know just legalize everything because I don't want to pay for it as a taxpayer. You know, I'm just like I'm kind of like we lost the war. You know, we got beaten. <laughs> let's just give it up. You know, like let's let's let's, let's move on. And uh, and I said some stuff like probably. Jeez. Oh, so and, that's, and if that's, you that's, if you like no to respond to that, no religion on Twitter. That's it, the rule. Exactly. <laughs> and a uh, Twip listener, if you'd like to respond directly to Alex Lindsay, he's on Twitter at Alex Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay yeah, and you're fine. And, and the thing is, the the bad part is, I sometimes respond, and that's that's what happens. Is I said something minor, and then someone re- argued, and then I said something rougher. Wow. And you can find it on Twitter. I'm not going to say it again on the show. I will. I will definitely have to get a bag of popcorn and scroll back through that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I and I and I may or may not have had a you know the, the the real rule of Twitter is don't do it after you've had a martini. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. especially one of my martinis. Yes, um, yeah, yes. it's not uh, you know, uh, Alex. You said you you said you you're not a fan of any drug. You do realize alcohol is a drug, right? No, that's not a drug. I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 the thing is, if you're if you're Irish, that's actually one of the four major food groups, <laughs> along with caffeine, fat, and sugar. This has got to be made with potatoes, though, right? <laughs> well, no, no, yeah, 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 well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, but we, you know, the thing is, is the, the Irish have a we have a second Irish liver. You know, I mean, you, you know, so it's like a little liver that sits underneath underneath People your main liver. Typing and it, the hate tweets as we speak. Just, I know, and, and, there, and, and the Irish liver is just like a little. It, it just processes whiskey. Oh, wow, it takes right. it takes generations. Again, because, again, Alex Lindsay on Twitter. If you like to reach out <laughs> and touch Alex, <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, where where are you on at? Uh, on uh, I'm on Twitter as well at uh, Tyler Ginter. And you can also find me at TylerGinter.com on my uh, website and blog. Awesome. Cool. Hey, Tyler, um, what do you think about this? Are you, a, are you up for coming up on the show more often? Absolutely. As long as people weren't annoyed by me. No, oh, I had dude. a great time. This is, this is a lot of fun. You're yeah, awesome. While, while, Tyler, while Tyler was talking, Fred and I are, are Skyping back and forth on text going, we should have Tyler on more often. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. No, this is great. Actually, it's fun. It like, forces me to read more about the gear and, and get out there and, you know, shoot and it's just i've always loved listening to this show and it's it's an honor to be here awesome great well yep well you'll be on more often thank you for coming on all right listeners if you'd like to keep up with everything in the twip universe you can head over to this week in photo.com there you'll find links to our facebook fan page our twitter account and a whole lot more and if you're looking for me frederick van johnson you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.